John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. If you've ever studied writing, at some point, you've probably heard that there are only a few archetypal stories, and that every book, play, novel, and film are just riffs off those classic themes. The numbers vary, of course. Some say there are seven basic plots, others five, others 36. In one of the most popular books on screenwriting, Save the Cat author Zack Snyder says every movie fits into one of ten categories. However, when it comes to watching a man plow under his cornfield to build a baseball diamond in the hopes that a long-dead ball player will come back and play, well, in my mind, some ideas are just so unique, they simply can't be categorized. And I wouldn't even want to try. Field of Dreams is one of the most unique films ever made. A sports movie where they never really play a game. A magical movie with no spells, wizards, bad guys, or even explanations. A film where in one sense, the emotional resolution literally appears out of nowhere. And yet is one of the most satisfying, and in my case, tear-jerking, in film history. This is a truly magical movie, and if you haven't seen it, go on your own journey, not to an Iowa cornfield, but to cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream Field of Dreams, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to be one of our supporters on Patreon, right now you can hear a discussion of some of our favorite movie memories. So that's a cinephile short on movie memories, exclusively on Patreon, and Field of Dreams Part 1, this Friday, on The Cinephiles. Not invited? What do you mean, I'm not invited? That's my corn out there! You guys are guests in my corn! Right. No, wait! I have done everything I've been asked to do. I didn't understand it, but I've done it. And I haven't once asked what's in it for me. What are you saying, Ray? I'm saying, what's in it for me? Is that why you did this? For you? Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we continue our exploration of Field of Dreams. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host on The Outlaw Nation and co-host of numerous podcasts as well around this lovely city. Excited to be back for the uh, after the seventh inning stretch for the rest <laughs> of Field of Dreams here on part two. We've sung Take Me Out to the Ball Game. 
We are. <laughs> we got in our cracker jacks. We got in our cracker jacks. Um, and now uh, uh, Ray Kinsella has just kidnapped Terrence Mann, and then he agreed to go with him on a journey to Chisholm, Minnesota, to find out who is Archie Moonlight Graham. And of course, if we're going to go driving, we need some Doobie Brothers. <laughs> music playing um, and he calls up his wife and says you know I'm with Terrence Mann and she goes oh my god you kidnapped him and he's like no no you, you know it's all fine I'll explain later and ask her how are things and she says there's a pause and she says fine and then we cut to her looking upset and this is perfect directing the camera pushes back her and there we see her brother uh, Timothy Busfield in a suit with a bunch of other guys with suits why didn't you tell him and we know what this is about. And he got no choice in the matter. Again, it's simple, it's fast, and we totally understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, we are now in Chisholm, Minnesota, which is actually shot in Galena, Illinois, which I think is where U.S. Grant is from. Oh. And the reason they shot here was because it's right across the, the Mississippi River from Dubuque, which is where they did a lot of the other shooting. Um, and the first thing they do is they look at the phone booth in the phone book. There's no Archie Grand, no Moonlight, no nothing. And then we head into a newspaper office. Yeah. Excuse me. Maybe you can help us. We're looking for an ex-baseball player named Archibald Graham. Oh, you mean Doc Graham? No, I think his nickname was Moonlight. Well, that's Dr. Graham. Dr. Graham. And they ask uh, where we can find him. And she says, well, he's been dead for 14 years. Yeah. So here is what I always, I, I, I knew this before and I have always forget. There really is an Archibald Moonlight Graham. Yes, there is. And, and, and the way this all happened is just so, he really did play one inning in Major League Baseball. He really never got to bat. And the way this whole thing happened, and he really was a doctor in Chisholm, Minnesota, is that yeah. W.B. Kinsella, who wrote Shoeless Joe, was just paging through the baseball encyclopedia as you do. And he found that name and that record. And he went, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so what did he, he said? He and his wife said, let's go to Chisholm, Minnesota and find out about him. Oh, wow. And he actually died in the mid 60s. But they did exactly what our characters do, which is that they went to the newspaper office and they read the obituaries. And then they started interviewing people and asking them questions about Doc Graham. Wow. It's just so weird, this book. Yeah. Like he goes, comes up with the idea of bringing back Shulish Joe and building a baseball diamond in Iowa, kidnapping J.D. Salinger, and then just brings in this random guy from Minnesota. What are you working out, Kinsella? What are you working out when you're Seriously. doing this book? <laughs> he, here's the thought that uh, Phil Robinson had, is that he went, so there really was a Doc Graham, and probably that Doc Graham went to the movies. Yes. And Doc Graham probably saw Burt Lancaster, having no idea that someday after he died, Burt Lancaster is going to play him. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. You know what's funny? It came out later that he was actually uh, had this at a party uh, and was asked this question. And he said that he rather wanted Kirk Douglas to play him. Than <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um and we hear through his obituary that he was this great guy who helped out all the kids and was just a pillar of the community. Yeah. And the woman that is reading this, the obituary, the newspaper woman, is a woman named Ann Seymour. Mm. And Ann Seymour is a seventh generation 
actor. Wow. That her family what? was acting in the 1700s in Ireland. Wow. Jesus. Seven generations of people working in the theater. She was, she was in movies and she was really a Broadway star. Mm-hmm. James Old Jones's first gig on Broadway was in Sunrise at Campabella, which is the play about the Roosevelts. Yeah. He had one line. That line was delivered to Anne Seymour, who was playing Eleanor wow. Roosevelt. His line wow. was, Mrs. Roosevelt, dinner is served. <laughs> so here, now, he's the star, and she's playing nice. the supporting part. I just think that's so cool. And the moment, and it makes this next moment, which is one of the smallest and my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah. Which is that she reads the obituary, and he says, You wrote that. The day he died. I see. You're a good writer. And she says, while patting him on the arm, So are you. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great little moment. It's so great. And it's so simple and small. And because and, it's, and, and he gives her a little look. And it's just all of this like, oh, she recognized him. Right. The moment that he walked in. And, but but had so much class to not bring up that you're J.D. Salinger. You're the great missing right. writer. You know? That's just you know, amazing. And another thing, Steve, if you want to really want to add another layer to this, maybe this is her talking to him. And her, what if he says, you're a great actress? So are you. The pat on the arm. That's what I think, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. So it works on so many levels. Yeah. It's so great. But yeah. they're, of course, disappointed. They're like, well, what are we doing here? You know, what, what this doesn't make any sense. It sounds yeah. like he was a wonderful man. And, and I love that Terrence Mann says half the towns in America have a Doc Graham. What makes this one so special we have to travel halfway across the country to find him 16 years after he died? There's got to be more. And then we get in this montage where Terrence Mann is interviewing all these people about Doc Graham. Mm -hmm. Which, And what I really like is I think that what you see, definitely a show-don't-tell thing, is that you see who Terrence Mann, the writer, was. Do you know what I mean? Like, he knew how to do, this was part of his writing process, whatever it was that he wrote was meeting people and getting to know people so he could incorporate them in his work. Yeah. The last guy he talks to is great. They're sitting at a bar, and the guy is talking about Archie Graham's wife, Alicia. She always wore blue. The shopkeepers in town would stock blue hats because they knew if Doc walked by, he'd buy one. When they cleaned out his office, they found boxes of blue hats that he never got around to give her. And then and then this guy he's interviewing says, I bet you didn't know that. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And there's something so lovely about the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- just a small thing, which is that Phil goes up to that actor and he says, I just love how you did that. The guy who told the story. Mm-hmm. You told it so simply. You didn't put anything on it. I just love how simple that was. And the actor said, oh, you like that? It took me a lot of work to get it that simple. Wow. Wow. Isn't that a good line? It is a lot. That's a good line. Yeah. And the way he, the, he, the way he delivers it. And this is what's the... Listen, and I want to say this too as we're into part two. This is the joy of the film. They go to the heartland. Yeah. And you see these people and how they really loved this man and how they really love their town and their city. And they take pride. Yeah. that The lady who writes the obituary, she's not Terrence Man. She's not world known for writing an incredible yeah. book. But she's a phenomenal writer. And within her town, within her section of the world, 
she's probably very well known as an incredible writer, oh, yeah. as a great writer. And some people don't want to go and have all that fame and have all that success in that version. They'd rather have a small amount of success in their particular town, their particular life. And all these people, the way they speak about it is just brilliant. And Phil does such a great job of capturing that section of our country and the people that live there and, and, and really giving them a lot of love and attention, you know? And I think that's important, you know, in a film that is, you know, at times can have some liberal uh, points of views still showing that we're all just kind of in this world living and existing. And in these, in these interviews, in these montages, it's fantastic how that comes across for me, at least. There's something, I think at some point I brought this up on the show before, mm. but there's something that really inspired me years and years ago. I was such a huge Frank Miller fan who wrote Dark Knight Returns yeah. and right. great comic book writer. Um, less of a fan of him now because kind of gone weird. But um, <laughs> yeah. there was a time probably in the early 90s when Kirk, uh, Jack Kirby had passed away and he mm. um, gave the eulogy, one of the eulogies for Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby, one of the great comic book artists of all time. And the eulogy was reprinted and I, and I read it. And what he talks about in the eulogy was that what you could see when you looked at Jack Kirby's art was the love he gave the page. And that phrase he repeats in this eulogy over and over again, the love you give the page. And he says in the eulogy, and really in the end, as artists or as anyone, that's all we have to give is our love. Mm -hmm. And that if we give our love to our art, then it comes through somehow. It's more than lines. It's more than color. It's more than yeah. pictures. It's You can actually feel the love. I think that in that phrase, the love you give the page, I think about it all the time. And mm -hmm. I think you can feel the love throughout this whole film. And you can, it's built so much on love. It's built on the love of Annie for Ray. It's built on yeah. the love for baseball. It's built on the love for the farm, for the Midwest. Yeah. It's built on the love that we have for Doc Graham, the love they have for Terrence Mann's writing. Like so much of this movie is an exploration of things that are deep love. And even this guy telling the story about Doc Graham and the Blue Hats, that's a story about love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, we also hear that he uh, always carried an umbrella. This is Doc Graham, that he, he wore an overcoat. He had white hair. And he said, when people ask him, why do you always car uh, carry an umbrella? And he says, it's to beat away his lady admirers, which I love. <laughs> and we're back at the motel. Uh, James Earl Jones is sort of reviewing what they learned. And it's like, well, there's no scandals about this guy. There's no skeletons at the closet. And he goes, well, you sound disappointed. He's like, well, Shoeless Joe had a problem that he needed you to solve. This guy doesn't need anything. And then we find out, which again is not in the book, that Terrence Mann is missing and that his dad is looking for him because he just disappeared. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I got to I got to call my dad. And so uh, Ray, in order to give him some space, says, well, I'll go take a walk. And I love the last moment where he's picking up the phone to call and just bursts out laughing like, what am I going to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Costner's walking through Chisholm, Minnesota and slowly but surely begins to realize that something looks wrong. We see a movie marquee that's playing The Godfather. We see, uh, and it yeah, says, One of the year's is, best. Yeah, one of the year's <laughs> best. We see cars and license plates and re-elect Richard Nixon. And on the car, he, he looks at the license plate and he scrapes off the little registration tag and it says 1972. Mm. Um, and then the music hits and we realize something mystical is happening. It's such a it, you know it's such a strange movie because it doesn't follow traditional structure at all. Like mm -hmm. there is a guy on a journey, but he doesn't know what the journey is. 
He doesn't know yeah. where he's going or what he's trying to do. And there are these right. things that happen that just happen, and we don't know why they happen. It's yeah. very, very odd. But then we hear the footsteps, and we see a silhouette, and there is, we know, Doc Graham. Bird Lancaster. I, I, I can't tell you. Because I think this is his last is this his last film? I think this it's is his last film. A couple small roles after this. I looked it up. This is the last. Yeah, film. this is kind of like the last thing we know him from. But like, he brings such a lived-in weight to the role and a twinkle in his eye to the whole performance. And Burt Lancaster has always had one of those recognizable voices in oh, yeah. classic cinema. And the way he uses it to uh, bring to life Moonlight Graham is so exquisite and no perfect and gets inside your heart. Uh, that when he has that moment near the end of the movie, uh, it's even more poignant for you to experience it because of how much you instantly fall in love with this guy. You know, we've all met someone like this who's an older person and there's just something about the way they handle themselves that has a little bit of a twinkle and you just wish you could view the world they do or experience the world they do. Are you Moonlight Graham? No one's called me Moonlight Graham in 50 years. Almost every moment that Burt Lancaster is on screen, I have a tear in my eye. Yeah. I just, yeah. there's something so moving. And he has such a deft touch with this character. Mm-hmm. It's so gentle. It's so yep. soft. He's so secure in who he is. And again, so loving. He's such a loving yeah. person. You know, I couldn't sleep tonight. Usually I sleep like a baby. I told Alicia I was going to take a walk. Do you mind if I join you? I mean, I'd like to talk to you. Let's walk over to my office. And they go over to his office. This, by the way, was shot in a high school principal's office mm. that they redressed to look, because they wanted that sort of older institutional look. Yeah. And they redressed it to make it look like a doctor's office. And I love this little thing. The set dressers purposely spilled a little bit of rubbing alcohol on the set because they wanted it to smell like a doctor's office. <laughs> I think Smart. that's great. There, he asked them about what happened. Why did you only play one in any one game? And he tells the story. It was the last game of the season, and on the last inning, they said right field, and he grabbed his glove, and he ran out on the field. Did you get to make a play? Never hit the ball out of the infield. And he knew he was going to get sent back down, and he couldn't stand another year in the minors, so he hung it up. So what was that like? It was like having this close to your dreams, and I watched them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. Apparently, Burt Lancaster was really struggling with his lines at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, his memory wasn't so great. And they started to go, oh, he's he's not going to get it. You know, like, yeah. we're going to be in trouble. And then right. all of a sudden, the last take, he brings it together and pitch perfect, line perfect. And, you, yeah. and, he, and Phil s- says this was the quietest he had ever seen on a movie set in his life. <laughs> like, and I, I've been on sets like this where suddenly everyone knows something special is happening. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. You know, I was watching this today, or I'm watching the other day, Steve, and it occurred to me as we were thinking about us recording today, the seventh seal, what I'd said in the seventh seal, right? This knight seeks what he thinks are the answers from God, what he wants them. And I said... He's so busy searching for those mm. answers that he does, doesn't look around and see what he actually has in his life, that those are the answers. And I think this is Burt Reynolds kind of saying the same thing, or the character kind of saying the same thing. Oh, not Burt Lancaster, but this kind of saying the same thing 
this idea, you know, you think there'll be other days, you think you'll have, but it, when in fact that was the only day, uh, and you're so busy thinking about that it'll happen at some point that you forget that it might not happen at all because you're so young and you think, oh, totally. But in reality, it might not ever happen. And he, he cherishes what else he did afterwards. Uh, and I do want to say one last thing. He mentions John McGraw. I pointed his boiny fing- bony finger at him. Mm. John McGraw, very well known as a cantankerous manager of the mm. New York Giants, uh, elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1937, but very well known amongst those who know the history of baseball and very well known for being like the little, he was, uh, I think he was dubbed the little Napoleon because he was such a, a hard ass. So when he says he pointed a bony finger at me and just said, right field, you know, just, you could just see the vision of that, you know, an old man just telling the young kid and the kid jumping up to go play. So. That's so great. And it's not one I, w- I would never have known that. The, um, uh, I think the point you make is so great. And I think if mm. you think about this movie, this movie is all about missed moments. Yes. is like yes. Ray is a person who didn't get the last moments with his father that he wanted. Right. You know, right. and and that Shoeless Joe is a person who didn't get to keep playing in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, Terrence Mann is a person who's pulled himself out of society. Right. And didn't get to play that game in Ebbets Field that when because they tore it down that he said in that interview. And that and that what is the moment of, you know, I, I mean I'm jumping ahead of it, but it's so important. Is this heaven? Heaven is a place yeah. where all your dreams come true. And he yeah. looks over and sees his family. Maybe it is heaven. Yeah. This is that is him recognizing that he's in the mm-hmm. moment. Yes. You yes. Know? yes. Yes. You know, um, and, and so I think that this idea resonates throughout the whole film and it's part of what makes it so moving. And now, Ray Kinsella, I want to ask you a question. What's so interesting about a half an inning that would make you come all the way from Iowa? to talk to me about it 50 years after it happened. And Ray thinks he's figured it out. I think it's to ask you if you could do anything you wanted, if you could have a wish. And are you the kind of a man who could grant me that wish? I don't know. I'm just asking. I, I don't think Kevin Costner is one of the great actors in history. Okay. He has a, he, he has a narrow range. Yep. Okay. Like he has a very he I think he's great in the I always you know we've played the game sort of of what mm-hmm. modern actors are like older actors and you know we said oh Tom Hanks is kind of the Jimmy Stewart or mm-hmm. you know other people I think Kevin Costner is kind of the Gary Cooper mm. is that he's very American and very yeah. simple and honest there's an honesty about yeah about what he's doing um, you know what a more complimentary one might even be? Maybe even Henry Fonda. Ooh, I think you're stretching with Henry. I'll go with Gary, though. Okay. I- I'll accept Cooper. But when he's... I think, because Fonda's transcendental, and Fonda is true. a damn good actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I kind of I kind of, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. The moment yeah. in which he says, I don't know, I'm just asking, and he's got that smile on his face, is such mm-hmm. a beautiful acting moment. Well, you know, I, I never got to bat in the major leagues. I'd have liked to have that chance just once. To stare down a big league pitcher. To stare him down, and just as he goes into his windup, wake. Make him think you know something he doesn't. And then the next piece is just, it's pure poetry. Chance to squint at a sky so blue that it hurts your eyes just to look at it. To feel the tingle in your arm as you connect with the ball. To run the bases, stretch a double into a triple, and flop face first into third. Wrap your arms around the bag. It's very reminiscent of what um, Shoeless Joe Jackson says totally. when he first shows up, 
right? The, yeah, the smell in your nose, the feel of the grass on your feet, that kind of stuff. You know, there's the, like once again, it's a re- baseball is a religious experience for a lot of these people that play it. It is so just the way he speaks about it is so you know just to wrap your arms around that base. You know, all of that is just so uh, visually striking, but oh so emotionally effective. You know, and tactile. It's fit, you know, it's like yeah. it's, you feel the touch of all of it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. really, really beautiful. And 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 Ray says, yeah, I think I can give that to you. I got a place you can go. And there's a moment, and then Bert Lancaster looks up at the clock, and he says, "This is my most special place in all the world, Ray. Once a place touches you like this, the wind never blows so cold again. You feel for it. Like it was your child." And he yeah. says, no, I can't leave Chisholm. Um, and, and Ray's like, no, but I think you're supposed to come with me. <laughs> 50 years ago, for five minutes, you came what, you, you came this close. I mean, it would kill some men to get that close to their dream and not touch it. God, they, they'd consider it a tragedy. His next line is amazing. Son, if I'd only gotten to be a doctor for five minutes, now that would have been a tragedy. Yeah. And here's the thing. Doc Graham is not Shoeless Joe. Mm -hmm. Shoeless Joe is a very sad figure who spent his life trying to get back to the thing that made him who he was. Yeah. Being a doctor is what makes Doc Graham who he is. You Mm -hmm. know, he is content. Yes, he has a wish. It's more, you know what it is? Here's the difference. Shoeless Joe is a tragic figure who you want to give a wish to ease his, to solve his tragedy. Mm-hmm. Doc Graham is a heroic figure who you want to give a gift to because he's been such a good man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he does want to play. He does want that, oh, yeah. that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not because he's sad. No, no. Not yeah. at all. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, and then he says with that twinkle that you mentioned, that perfect twinkle in his <laughs> eye. I better be getting home. At least you'll think I got a girlfriend. <laughs> So brilliant. So brilliant. And then we're back. We're back with James Earl Jones and kind of going like, well, what did we come here for? And his response is maybe it was to find out if one inning could change the world. I think it did. Did for these people. If you gotten a hit, you might have stayed in baseball. And then he says, oh, by the way, your wife called. You got to call her. He calls her. And now we reveal the loan is coming due. They're going to foreclose. Yeah. And he goes, okay, I got to take Terrence Mann back to Boston. And he's like, no, I'm going to see the baseball diamond. <laughs> and I love the, that he says, okay, we're coming home. The we're coming yeah. home is great. Um, we're out driving and there's a hitchhiker. And he goes, well, I need all the karma I can get. And we pull over and there is Frank Whaley. Yeah. Um, very young. How far are you going? Iowa. Well, if it's okay with you, I think I'll just ride along a while. I play baseball. And there's a look, and we hear yeah. the theme music. And a little later, he says that he's looking for a place to play, and there's places he's heard where towns will get you a job so you can play baseball there. And then he introduces himself. I'm Archie Graham. There is such a perfect synchronicity. Um, you know what I mean? A perfect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what's the word for coincidence? I forget the word I'm thinking of. There's just this perfect, the universe is all coming together in a perfect order in this film. Like like a serendipity? Is that right? Serendipity. That is the word I couldn't find. There you go. What's interesting to me, they made no attempt to cast a guy that looked anything like Burt Lancaster. (laughs) 
<laughs> How can you find that guy? Are you kidding? Well, Come I, on. Mean, I mean, Frank Whaley's like half his size. Yeah, Bert's true. Big, Very true. You could have cast it, but they didn't. I like Frank Whaley a lot. I think he's really good in the movie, but he just right. looks nothing like him. He doesn't. But but you want to feel like you want to feel immediately like this kid's an underdog, so that when he gets out there amongst all those big brutes, you know. So it's a good casting decision for Frank Whaley for that reason. Yeah, totally, absolutely. That's actually a really, yeah. really good point. It's later. He's asleep in the back. This is a process shot. It's that poor man's process where they're just in a stage and they're flashing lights in their <laughs> yeah. face to make the, <laughs> they're moving. They're moving. <laughs> but it makes it very intimate. You know, it's funny the way he described towns, you know, finding you a job so that you could play on their team. They haven't done that for years. My dad did that for a while, but that was in the 20s. What happened to your father? He never made it as a ball player, so he tried to get his son to make it for him. By the time I was 10, playing baseball, I got to be like eating vegetables or taking out the garbage. So here's an interesting thing that's in the book. In the book, there are twin sons. There's Ray oh, wow. Kinsella and his twin brother. I don't remember his name. And it's the uh-huh. twin brother that has the falling out with dad, not Ray. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And this idea of pushing him to play baseball, that didn't really happen. Ray Kinsella is not much of a baseball player. He doesn't care that much about baseball in the mm. book. It's very okay. different. So when I was 14, I started to refuse. you believe that? American boy refusing to have a catch with his father? A, I love have a catch. (laughs) Yeah. Not play catch, have a catch. Right. Do you play catch with your dad? Uh, No, we weren't into baseball. My dad and I was, we we were Latinos, so for us it was soccer. So my dad and I would sit in the backyard and kick the ball to each other like people play catch uh, or American kids play catch with baseballs. My dad and I with a soccer ball, he would be at one end of our backyard. I'd be at the end of our backyard and we'd have conversations as we kick the ball back and forth to each other across the yard. So that's essentially having a catch, the Latino version. And what was your relationship? Did you, was it something you look forward to? Was it something you didn't, did you grow out of it? I think when I was in my younger years, yes, I looked forward to it when I was in my nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 years it's when I turned that corner into 14 and 15 and started to rebel and wanted to go out and stretch the limits and stayed out till two in the morning without his permission. Those are those things that were kicking the ball in the backyard were happened less and less frequently. Uh, and as I was going out to, you know, find new friends and spend less time with my supposedly uncool dad, uh, we rarely kicked the ball around. Uh, but soccer, when we repaired our relationship, soccer has always been the thing that, um, united us and brought us back together in conversation so much so that the last uh, the the moment that I finally broke before my father passed with like just an overwhelming wave of tears was when we were talking about soccer uh, having some takeout Chinese with my mom the last two weeks before he died we're just having a conversation and we start talking about soccer and all of a sudden it dawns on me while we're having the conversation that I won't get to talk soccer with my father for much longer. And that just, in that moment, decimated me. Just decimated. And then the tears that I've been holding on, you know, because you want to be strong and not show weakness when he's dealing with, he's dealing with, just came pouring out of me, man. And my dad did one of the things he rarely ever did with me is he reached over and grabbed my hand and he said, let it out. He let me cry. One of the rarest times in our relationship that he ever let me cry. So for me... Um, sports is still the connection with my dad, but it was soccer instead of baseball. So the film works for me still because it's a universal uh, situation. Man, you're going to make me cry with that story. <laughs> the um, yeah. 
it's so it's so interesting that you not to talk about your 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 mm. life like it's a scene in a movie but that the person going through the the actual facing his death yeah yeah comforted the the other person and i think <laughs> that's that so right you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i think that's mm-hmm. so what happens it's funny i um i good i wish i knew the facts of what i'm about to tell you mm. catch was like a big painful thing for me growing up okay is that uh in my mind as a kid i continually asked my dad hey dad let's play catch Mm -hmm. and he continually said no Mm. and in my mind this was you know months and months he would say no and say no and tomorrow and tomorrow and not do it and i in my mind, we all, we didn't play catch very much at all when I was a kid. Maybe when I was a really little kid, and I, that's why I go like, I wonder how much I did ask him, and I wonder how many times we did play catch. Yeah. But my dad worked really, really hard. He worked um, five days a week in the San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He generally came home around seven. Saturdays he worked like a half day, and then on Sundays it was do the gardening and pull the weeds and repair things yeah. around the house. And 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 he was tired. And so the feeling of absence and the feeling of wanting to connect with my dad was really strong. And I just remember feeling so not connected to him and fe- and wanting that catch. I just wanted mm-hmm. to play catch with my dad. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then, and what's weird too that happens, and I think this is what they're talking about in the movie, is... By the time you're hitting puberty, you know, and you're becoming a teenager and heading towards yeah. becoming a man, you actually don't want that thing anymore. Yeah. You know? Right. And like, and it was funny, I, I, I realized there were times later when my dad was trying to connect to me that I didn't really want to connect to him. And so as yeah. a child, I'd spent all this time wanting to connect with this person who I felt was absent some of the time. And then later wanting to go my own way you know and Mm -hmm. it's so and this is why these father-son stories are just so profound and 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 why i'll cry when i hear cats in the cradle you know (laughs) this is just so true for so many of us um and we get this moment live 14 that's when i read the boat rocker by terrence mann oh god Never played catch with him again. You see, that's the kind of crap people always try to lay on me. It's not my fault you wouldn't play catch with your father. <laughs> I love the. It's such a beautiful moment, broken by the perfect amount of humor in that section. He's just like, "Oh, here we go." You know, people have been blaming me for this. It's not my fault you didn't play catch with your dad. Yeah. And Coster has a great reaction. He's like, "I know. Calm down. Yeah. I'm not saying it's your fault." <laughs> it's it's really funny. And then he says that at 17 he went to practice things and went away, said something awful to him, and left. Yeah. And and then he has the, which we've all had. I wanted to yeah. go back home oh, and yeah. make it right, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And then he says, made it back for the funeral, though. Yeah. That's there's a lot there. But a lot of people have that, you know, a lot of people because they don't have the emotional vocabulary or maybe they don't have the strength or like Archibald Graham, they think there'll be other days when they can make this. But this is that. Can, yeah. Yes. Right. They can resolve that relationship. They think there'll be other days. And the truth is, you never know if there will be another day and if that other day will present itself. And like I just told you that story with my dad, that's the day that presented itself. And my dad and I had this incredible conversation afterwards where we apologized to each other for everything everything 
and we were able to, you know, like go, uh, he was able to leave in peace and I was able to go on without him in peace because of that. But what Costner said, I made it back for the funeral. Right? And it's terrible. It's a hor- and a lot of people experience this. A lot of people don't get a chance to get that resolution or close the circle with their parents before they pass or heal the old wounds. And that's why the movie works, I think, uh, as well. It's so fundamental to the theme of the film. Mm. It's yeah. all about healing. It's healing Shoeless Joe's wounds. It's healing, giving this thing to Doc Graham. It's healing Terrence Mann. And of course, it's this relationship with the father, which is just beautifully thread throughout the whole film. And we a little yeah. later, he asked, you know, what was the awful thing you said? He said, I could never respect a man whose hero was a criminal. Who was his hero? Shoeless Joe Jackson. You knew he wasn't a criminal. Then why did you say it? I was 17. Son of a bitch died before I could take it back. Before I could tell him. And we don't get to know, tell him what? Right. You know, right. exactly. And then he says he never met his my wife. He never got to see his granddaughter. Yeah. And James Earl Jones says, this is your penance. And he goes, I know. I can't bring my father back. So the least you can do is bring back his hero. It's really beautiful. And of course, where are they right now? They're just pulling up to the farm. And there in the distance, through the haze, we see the field. We're at the back of the house. And this is just a quick story uh, about production, which is that they never shot on the back of the house. And they're on their dinner break. And unions, as you know, are very big about when their break is. Time for the break, <laughs> as they yes. should be. Because, you know, particularly, yeah. you know, when your average day is a 12-hour day, yeah. you got to be pretty serious about when you take your breaks. And the electricians said, we're going to go work on lighting that scene. And, they, and Phil goes, no, it's, it's your ginger break. Take a break. And he's like, they go, yeah, we're a little bit behind. We've never lit the backside of the farm before. We want to make sure it's right so you can be on schedule to shoot. Now, that never happens. Yeah. You know? And here's what I was thinking about. There are a few movies where the spirit on the set mm-hmm. matches the film. Yeah. One of them we've talked about is Princess Bride, you know, mm-hmm. where the love that everybody feels towards that film and the, the, the emotion, that's how they felt on the set. Yeah. Another one that we've talked about is Apollo 13, where the drive to get it right, to everybody working hard, the teamwork, the craftsmanship, mm-hmm. it re- reflects what was happening in the film. This is another yeah. one. Seems like there was so much good spirit on this film. This is Terrence Mann. Terry. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Terry. And this young fella is, this is Archie Graham. Archie? He's come to practice with the team. Yeah, well, he's going to be able to do a lot more than that. <laughs> because there are a whole bunch of other guys. And they walk yeah. up, and there's, you know, now 18 guys playing baseball. And James Earl Jones' reaction is amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. What? That shoot is Joe Jackson. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, you didn't believe me? I thought I did, but... Oh, my God. And this is the thing about his performance. I mean, we see, we already talked about The Great White Hope. We talked about some yeah. of his other great performances. He's so gentle and yeah. warm and fun in this movie. It's a side of him we yeah. don't get to see. Terry, I'd like you to meet Shoeless Joe Jackson. Joe, Terry Mann. It's a pleasure meeting you. It's so great. He's such a good actor. <laughs> now we list a bunch of the famous players that are playing, and, and he says, and I love this line, he says, Ty Cobb wanted to play. 
None of us could stand a son of a bitch when we were alive, so we told him to stick it. <laughs> Does that Ray Liotta laugh of <laughs> his? Great. And um, then, yeah. yeah, and Ty Cobb was a complete and utter asshole. That's total what, racist, yeah. total all this kind of stuff, and used to slide into bases, spikes up, yeah. so he'd cut up people's feet so they wouldn't stand in front of the bases next time he slid in, you know, things of that nature. He was complete and utter asshole. And uh, sadly, that film that Tommy Lee Jones is in Cobb, it's not that great of a film, unfortunately, but yeah. um, it's a decent attempt, at least. I really wanted it to be great because that's the guy who directed, um, he did Bull Durham, and I forget the director's name now. Oh, John Sales? No. Is that his name? John Sales did Eight Men Out. So Ron Shelton, maybe? Ron I think Shelton, that's who yeah. It is. Who did yes, White Men yeah. Can't Jump and Tin yes. Cup. Um, yeah. And so I went, I thought Cobb was going to be great, and it's not that great. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. And now we get really the closest thing we get to a game. You know, we're seen playing and we're setting up this moment where Archie Graham gets his one at bat. And he winks at the pitcher, and the pitcher takes a shot at his head. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes another shot at his head. Hey, Aunt, how about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in comes Shula's show to give us some advice. He's like, okay, the first two were high and tight, so what do you think the next one will be? Need a loan away or in my ear. He's not going to want to load the bases, so look for low and away. Right. But watch out for in your ear. <laughs> and he throws the pitch and he flies out but scores the runner with an RBI. Yeah. I think that's a great choice because the obvious choice is he hits a home run. He does something right. amazing. The fact that he flies out but gets the RBI is great. Yeah. Yeah, or hits that. He could have hit that triple, Steve, and hugged the base, sure, and it would have yeah, been totally. such a comp out. You're absolutely right. This is the better choice. Way better choice. So here's another story. Mm. Rod Dado, who's the USC baseball coach, mm -hmm. who's coaching here. Yeah, and he's you know famous coach, and and uh, Phil goes up to him and says, "Hey, did you ever play?" He's like, "Yeah, I played." He's like, "Well, were you good?" He's like, "Yeah, I was pretty good." What'd you play? He said, "I played shortstop." He goes, "Oh, yeah." Could you hit? Yeah, a pretty good hitter. And Phil says, well, did, why didn't you ever play in the majors? And he goes, I did play in the majors. He played for, I forget which team it was, shortstop, mm -hmm. for one game. <laughs> and then he broke his back. Oh. And that ended his career. Wow. And Phil looks at him and says, oh, my God, you're Doc Graham. And Rod says, yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing to me. And then yeah, he, they stuff. shot the whole movie and didn't know this. Yeah. And if he hadn't asked, he would have never known. And how many kids did he train to become ball players yep. who became great professional ball players? Maybe he would say the same thing. And now, if I had only got to be a coach for five minutes, yes. that would have been a waste. Yes. You know? uh, great point. Um, <laughs> we cut to the stands and they're doing the wave. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's the note I wrote I love James Earl Jones in every single moment of this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's so good. And they kind of <laughs> congratulate Archie. And there's this moment where Frank Whaley makes eye contact with Kevin Costner. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think this moment means. Okay. I think inside Archie Graham at this moment is Doc Graham. Yep. That, that's Doc Graham recognizing the guy that he met who has mm -hmm. now fulfilled the wish that he told him. Yep. That's what I see. And I also think that works because when he walks off the baseball field and becomes Doc Graham, we knew that Doc Graham was in there already. Yeah. Waiting to come out. Right? Just from that wink or sorry, just from that look to 
Costner, uh, which is brilliant. It's an older look. We'd see Whaley, like the white-eyed kid, right? But in that moment, he's got more years to him in that look to Costner's character. A, uh, a Jeep pulls up, and there we have uh, Timothy Busfield. And this <laughs> moment is so great, which he's, he doesn't see the players, so he walks yeah. right past home plate just as a pitcher pitches the ball, <laughs> and it is so close to him. Hi. And this is all just real. This is not a special effect in any way. Yeah. They had a professional pitcher, I don't know who it was, pitching, and the ball was hollowed out, so it wasn't as heavy, but it would still hurt. And they just timed it out. And apparently, mm-hmm. Tim Busfield was terrified. Yeah, of course. And he does it, per- has no reaction whatsoever to what goes on. Mm-hmm. And the players react. It's a great, great moment. Yeah. Ray. Ray, it's time to put on your little fantasies and come down to Earth. It's not a fantasy, Mark. They're real. Who is real? By the way, this is an extremely complicated scene to shoot. There was a ton of coverage. Coverage means all the different angles you got to shoot. Yeah. I think they shot this scene for four days. Wow. Here's the thing about directing. It's an exhausting job. And there, you're working seven days a week, you know, mm-hmm. 12, 15, 18-hour days. Yeah. And what Phil Robinson said is, is at the beginning, you're really sharp. You have everything planned out. You have everything worked out. By the time you get to the end, your brain is not functioning. <laughs> so while they're shooting this scene, they, it's like on the second or third day, they come around to do uh, Amy Madigan's close-up. And yeah. he's filming her, and she's acting kind of weird. He's like, what, what's happening? What's wrong? And then he looks at her and he says, wait, did we already shoot this shot? And she says, yeah, <laughs> you shot my close-up two days ago. <laughs> because I didn't remember. <laughs> um, Brilliant. So as, as Tim Busfield's getting all angry, he looks over and there's James Earl Jones sitting with a baseball encyclopedia, which that was his idea, by the way, mm-hmm. watching this. And Tim goes, who is this, Elvis? As a matter of fact, it's Terrence Mann. <laughs> right. How do you do? I'm the Easter Bunny. <laughs> and James Earl Jones is loving it, just loving laughing every minute of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, no I'm not money. selling Ray, you Ray, my home. you have no money. You have a stack of bills to choke a pig and come fall. You got no crop to sell. But I do have a deal to offer you that's going to allow you to stay on the land. I, this is where I go. He really is trying to be a good guy. Ray, you're bankrupt. I'm offering you a way to keep your home because I love my sister. Now, my partners, Ray, they don't give a damn about you, and they're ready to foreclose right now. I I look at this from Mark, that's Tim Busfield's character's perspective. Mm -hmm. He's doing everything he can to help this guy. And they're sitting here looking at nothing, pretending that this is J.D. Salinger that they're with, Mm -hmm. and he won't sell the thing. And it's like, (laughs) Ray, you're bankrupt. Daddy... We don't have to sell the farm. Karen, please. Just wait. People will come. What What people, sweetheart? From all over. They'll just decide to take a vacation seat, and they'll come to Iowa City. They'll think it's really boring, so they'll drive up and want to pay us, like buying a ticket. And Mark's going, like, you listening to this? And <laughs> Annie says, yes. Why would anybody pay money to come here? To watch the game. And this is the thing we were talking about before. It will be just like when they were little kids. And then it's time for James Old Jones. Mm-hmm. And this is the speech that he took the part for. Yeah. The speech that he thought would be cut out of the movie. Here's what he said to Phil, the director. He said, I don't want to preach. 
And Phil Robinson was so upset because he pictured James Earl Jones speechifying, like really going at it. Yeah. And he says, I don't want to do it. I want to play it simple. And that's what he does. Yeah. And I love, I think this speech is so great. It carries more weight being simple. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. This is this thing we're talking about, longing for the past and being a child. Yep. Well, and since this is a movie about healing things from your childhood, that makes sense too. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. This, that's the line for me. For it's money they have, but peace they lack. That is it. Why? Because money can't buy you. It's true. You can have all the money in the world, but if you haven't resolved this thing inside you, it doesn't matter. Yes, you can pay your bills. Yes, you can buy whatever car you want or whatever boat you want but if all you're doing is shoving that into the hole that doesn't seem to be get filled what's the point uh and that's what it is it is peace that you're looking for it is closure that we look for in life because we're human beings and we make mistakes we're not emotionally ready for certain situations we confront in life or as we're growing up we say that terrible thing like i could never respect a man whose father was a criminal you know things of that nature lord knows i said terrible shit to my dad like oh i couldn't respect a man who never graduated college without knowing Mm how my stepfather stopped him from going to college before I knew that story, you know, and things of that nature. And so we all say the terrible things in relationships, in relation, in relation with our children. You know, you can say that offhand comment that you wish you could take back happens all the time. But how many of us would pay to have peace with that one person we hurt or get closure with that one person we hurt and we'll never be able to get that? And it's just, I love that. Or within our own lives, how many of us search for peace? What do you think the self-help industry is booming generation to generation? They're not telling you anything new that hasn't been said for three decades. It's just the way it's being delivered is different. And so, but you do, but you, people seek peace all the time. And money is no object to peace and people are willing to pay for it, which is why, like I said, the self-help industry is still so, so rich and powerful nowadays. Well, and, and what is this movie about? This movie is about a guy. And religion too, sorry. And sure. religion too, sorry. Yes. Um, and what is this movie about? This movie is about a guy who does something financially really stupid, mm-hmm. basically yeah. puts himself in such financial distress that he's going to lose his farm, right? but he's going to gain peace. It's his way yeah. of resolving these things and resolving these things for all these other people. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. Again, there's that thing about children. Yeah. And cheered their heroes. Those, those I think, are really related. The child, yeah. the hero. And that yeah. is Shoeless Joe. And yep. that is. Archie looking looking up. These were all his heroes. But then mm-hmm. Doc Graham is people's heroes too. And Terrence Mann is people's hero. Right. He's a hero too. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. 
<laughs> again, super tactile. Yeah, and again, the religious overtones. Dipped in magical waters, baptism, you know, the rebaptized, that kind of thing into the game. Um, and while all this is happening, Mark is pushing his agenda. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. There's a few things that happen. Like one is, is that the music starts to play. One is, is that the players who are all out in the field slowly turn and walk up behind him as if they're sort of the chorus. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. <laughs> yeah. This is all the stuff we've been talking about. This idea of an idealized America yeah, and it's idealized through the spirit of baseball yeah, and it's history. I wonder, I really wonder because I grew up with baseball always being on the radio. My dad always mm -hmm. played it and his reverence for baseball brought it to me. And I mm -hmm. wonder if younger generations are going to, I mean, they might be baseball fans, but I wonder if they're going to have that sense of, of history. You know what I mean? The way that right. we did. I, I wonder if that yeah. will exist. A lot of people question that nowadays because I still feel like the, the the more years we live, Steve, the more the less I feel connected, and I uh, to the past, you know, and revisiting the past. And as much as I used to enjoy it, now it's like how many people are actually revisiting the past who are way younger than I am? How many of them care about the yeah. past? Uh, things of that nature, you know. So you wonder how much of these stories will remain and stand the test of time. We shall see. Ray, you will lose everything. You will be evicted. And all the pressure is on him to make this decision. I don't know why we can't talk about it with Annie. Seems to me she's part owner of this <laughs> thing too. But it's all on Ray. And he looks and the camera pans along the players. Yeah. Um, one thing I meant to mention before. Want to know what uh, the director's one regret is about this film? What's that? It never occurred to him to have African-American players on the field. Oh, damn. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes yeah, and so you could, much you sense. Think of all the guys in the Negro Leagues. Yep, yep. And yep. their dreams. They didn't get to play in the majors. Yeah, but then again, I, I think you I think you'd have to add that element to the story. You couldn't just have Negro League ball players on the field without a connective tissue to somebody on the other side of it. You know what I'm you'd saying? Ha you'd have to make a moment for it. You remember yep. we talked about it in uh, League of Their Own. And there were the couple of African, there's the African-American woman who throws the ball. Mm -hmm. And it's just the smallest of moments, but it, it hints at this thing. Yep. Anyway, the camera's panning along the players and Ray is looking at them. And then he looks out and out in the outfield is Shoeless Joe Jackson. And he takes a step and he drops down into a stance. Yep. That moment was not shot for this scene. Mm. They didn't have a shot of Shoeless Joe. In all the four days of shooting coverage, <laughs> that's a shot they never got. 
and they realized that this they were missing something and that shot was from a completely different scene and it was before he even said action is that they were just rolling the camera and uh ray liotta was getting ready to do whatever the scene mm-hmm. was supposed to be and that became the moment <laughs> and the music builds and he says not signing oh you're crazy absolutely nuts and yeah. annie smiles and karen takes a bite of her hot dog and Mark is going off on him, saying this is crazy. Oh. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here and you stare at nothing. Not nothing. And you turn your daughter into a damn space Get your kid. hands off. I'm trying to help you, hard. damn it. And, and he reaches to grab her in this aggressive way. He grabs her by both her shoulders. Yeah. And Kevin reaches to protect his daughter. Right. And she falls down off the bleachers. all right i don't know is she breathing should i get the car and then kevin costner looks up and sees archie graham in the crowd of baseball players and he says anyway when we were watching this a few nights ago karen and i were watching it and right around here she said oh no i just remembered what happens <laughs> and yeah it, and of course this moment god it makes me cry so much it's so yeah. it's just such an amazing moment he walks it's touching and tragic at the same time. Well, and it has this inevitability. Again, it's yeah. the, the word I couldn't remember before. It's the serendipity. Is that yeah. you know what's about to happen too. You know, and he walks up and he gets to the border. And he stands there for a moment and we go, oh, no. Because it was so well established that they can't cross this border. Right. And he drops his glove and he steps across. And again, it's ILM, but it's super simple. The baseball player legs become the adult legs in the suit of Burt Lancaster. What do we got here? She fell. Mm. And he walks forward and he goes, now what do we got here? It is great country (laughs) doctorness. This child's choking to death. Get her up. Hold her steady now. By the way, he slapped this girl so hard they had to pat her up. (laughs) <laughs> oh no apparently Bert was not that gentle <laughs> Bert's a strong dude yeah. Bert's a strong dude thank you doc no son thank you and then the realization hits Kevin Costner and he says oh my god you can't go back you can't go back can hey, you it's alright I'm sorry it's alright what, what's so great to me about this moment is what is what defined his life right his life was defined by choosing not to be a ball player mm-hmm. and choosing to be a doctor Right. And here's he's making that exact choice again. Also, and here's something you brought up earlier from my story with my dad. Here's the older man who is now going to heaven comforting Kevin Costner, the yes. younger man in that moment. So, yeah. Well, and because, he, first of all, he was content before. Yes. You know, he was not an unhappy man. Right. And he just had his dream. He said what his dream was. Yeah. And he had it. And so he's like, yep. it's all right. A uh, couple things about Burt Lancaster on the set. So first of all, it's really hot. And he's wearing, of course, a wool coat and an overcoat, which is brutal. He's not a young guy. Yeah. Um, everyone was super respectful. Oh, James sure. Old Jones, by the way, had worked with him on Sesame Street. Mm. <laughs> Bert had done the numbers and James had done the letters, which is funny. But still, really, I mean, this is the you know previous generation really honored yeah. Everyone called him Mr. Lancaster. Nobody called mm-hmm. him Bert until finally one cameraman was like, hey, Bert, can you take a step to their left? And he said, okay. And then everyone said, oh, we can call him Bert? And people started <laughs> calling him Bert. 
And he's standing there and it's really hot and he wants a drink of water. So he looks over at Tim Busfield, who he thinks is an assistant, and says, hey, get me a drink of water. <laughs> and he, Tim goes, uh, okay. And he goes and he gets him a drink of water. And then he goes, uh, hey, give me my chair. And so Tim goes, uh, okay. And this goes on for several days where he's just treating Timothy Busfield like his assistant. And then we get to the moment where Tim Busfield has to act. And Bert looks at him and goes, like, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, well, I'm actually not an assistant. I'm an actor. And Bert goes, oh, good for you. Go grab my chair. <laughs> Which I wouldn't put it past that older generation to know Timothy was an actor on the, and just seeing how far he could go with it. How many days he could be going. <laughs> totally. I think it's hilarious. Uh, and then it, with that same twinkle in his eye, he says, I best be getting on home before Alicia begins to think I got a girlfriend. And he walks through the ball players. Yeah, this moment, Steve, yeah, when he walks through the ball players is such a heartbreaking but also like sweet moment and turning to say to them, win one for me, will you boys? Uh, and you see the actors, and I bet the actors just kind of leave the set mentally, and they're like saying goodbye to Burt Lancaster. It may be his final day on the set. I don't know. But they're like out of respect. You can see all of these actors who probably watched Burt Lancaster films growing up to become actors are like totally like doffing their caps and putting their hands out and out of respect. And it's just a great moment that works in a meta, mom- a meta way as well. I feel exactly the same way, and in particular mm-hmm. – when Ray Liotta Shoeless Joe says, Hey, rookie! You were good. Yeah. The you were good to me, it almost feels like just the capper on this life career mm-hmm. of Burt Lancaster. You were good. Mm-hmm. Like, th- like, thank you. You could even be faulted for thinking that it's actually Burt Lancaster who turns around and not Moonlight Graham. Yeah. That it's not the character of Moonlight Graham, that it's Burt Lancaster's face. It just so gets me. It really, mm-hmm. really gets me. And then he turns and he walks away into the cornfield and disappears. Yeah. And at this moment, Mark, Tim Busfield goes, When did these ball players get here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And, and, and fine, he's just kind of total shock. He's like, Do not sell this farm, Ray. You got to keep this farm. <laughs> and they go, You know, you've had a rough day. Why don't you go get something to drink? He goes, Yeah. Don't sell a farm. <laughs> Ray, we're going to call it a day. See you tomorrow. Okay. All right. Hey, do you want to come with us? You mean it? No, not you. Him. Pointing to Terrence Mann. Ray is not pleased in this moment. Nope. <laughs> and let me tell you a little bit about this scene. So, again, we're near the end of the shoot. It is super hot. Right. By the way, all that corn is dead. The corn has died because of the heat. And so they would every night would paint the corn and use like wooden poles to, you know, sticks to keep it upright because it's this is all right. dead corn. So it's just spray painted green. The, the the grass for the field, it's all dead, too. They spray painted all that green. And, and of course, when the mm-hmm. players run around, they would knock off the, the green paint and you'd see the brown dead grass underneath. So they're just bare. <laughs> and really, I think that's a good metaphor for how the director feels at this point. It's 105 degrees out. He's totally yeah. exhausted. He can't remember what he shot. And they go to shoot this scene and the scene does not work. Yeah. And they try different stuff and the scene doesn't work and the scene doesn't work. And Phil Robinson finally goes, okay. That's it. Shut it down. And he shuts down the set in the middle of the day. Yeah. 
and the studio hears that this is happening and they're calling and calling the set going, what's happening? You're wasting money. Where are you? You got to finish the movie. You got to finish the movie. And he goes into his trailer, which is air conditioning. He's going, how do I, what's wrong? What's wrong? How do I fix the scene? And Kevin Costner comes in and says, and starts talking to him about the scene and they start to get mm -hmm. somewhere. And he goes, wait a minute, let's call James. So they call James Old Jones. So the three of them for a couple hours in the air conditioned trailer, work out the scene. And the thing that they wow. didn't have right was they didn't have Ray's frustration. Wait a second, why him? I built this field, you wouldn't be here for work for me. Well, safe. you wouldn't be here for work. I'm you have a family. I know, but I wanna know what's out there. I wanna see it. But you're not invited. And this is like such mm -hmm. a key writing rule, is when things aren't working when you're writing, check in with your characters. Mm -hmm. How do they feel right now? Ask them, think about what are they really feeling, and that might be what's missing from your scene. And that's what they do. What do you mean I'm not invited? That's my corn out there. You guys are guests in my corn. Right. No, wait. I have done everything I've been asked to do. I didn't understand it, but I've done it. And I haven't once asked what's in it for me. What are you saying, Ray? I'm saying what's in it for me. Is that why you did this? For you? And there's a reaction. And then I love the way Ray Liotta delivers his next line. He says, I think you better stay here, Ray. So it's almost like a dad. I think you better stay here, Ray. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it's so parental. <laughs> it's such a scolding moment. There was a reason they chose me, just as there was a reason they chose you in this field. Why? I gave an interview. What, what interview? What are you talking about? The one about Ebbets Field, one that charged you up and sent you all the way to Boston to find me. You lied to me. Well, you were kidnapping me at the time, you big jerk. Well, you lied to me. You said your finger was a gun. Totally reminds yeah. me of Midnight Run. <laughs> you lied to me before I lied to you. Well, I didn't know you were lying to me when I lied to you. It's great. Listen to me, Ray. Listen to me. There is something out there, Ray. And if I had the courage to go through with this, what a story it'll make. Again, we're healing his issue. He's, he's a writer. He yeah. stopped writing because of all the painful things he's been through. Right. But now maybe he could write again. It's a beautiful moment when they shake hands. There's something very solemn mm -hmm. and that they've shared something really special. Yeah. And there's that kind of final squeeze. James Earl Jones's performance as he goes out to the corn. Oh, it's so funny. Right. It's so unusual and brilliant because as they gave Leota the direction to walk into the grass field and the baseball field like a church. Mm he's walking into yeah. the cornfield like a child going back into a play uh i don't know something like a, a play a playpen or something or a park uh and he's like looking and checking and the giggle the giggle he delivers <laughs> before he walks into the corn is brilliant here here's what he went to he went to uh phil robinson and said well what's out there what what am i going to find when i get there and phil's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then he says well how does it feel to go through to go to this place and phil goes i don't know maybe it tickles mm. that's the direction and it's so that's brilliant his giggling it's just so happy mm -hmm. and joyful and childlike again we go back to this childlike yes this childlike moment <laughs> and then we're left with uh shoeless joe and with ray and Joe is kind of smiling at him. And he goes, what? He goes, what are you grinning at, you ghost? If you build it, he will come. And there's a look. And Kevin looks over. And there's a catcher who we've never seen before. He's nope. taking off his gear. 
And Kevin Costner's reaction is just so amazing. And he says, Oh my God. What? What is it? And the camera pushes in on him. And he says, It's my father. Mm. Makes me cry right now. Yeah. He's trying to tell the yeah. story. Um, all the dad stuff is handled very differently in the book. The, in, in the book, dad shows up. He he knows all the, the whole time he's building it for his dad. Oh, he knows his dad's going to show up. It's not a surprise. And there's this whole weird thing with the twin brother showing up and how are they going to talk to their dad and why did the mm. twin brother leave and that he had joined the circus and he's married to a. I mean, it's really different. It's, <laughs> it's all so complicated. And this is so much simpler. Yeah. So interesting when you're writing something and you don't understand what you're writing and you get to a certain point and realize what it is. Suddenly, as Phil Robinson is writing this scene. Uh, he thinks about the three lines that we've had. If you build it, mm. he will come, ease his pain, go the distance. Yeah. And he realizes this is that all of those could apply to the relationship between the father and the son. I only saw him years later when he was worn down by life. He's got his whole life in front of him and I'm not even a glint in his eye. What do I say to him? Why don't you introduce him to his granddaughter? I just wanted to thank you folks for putting up this field and letting us play here. I'm John Kinsella. I'm Ray. And he starts to say his last name, but then he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And he says, this is my wife, Annie, and this is my daughter, daughter, Karen. Karen, this is my... And he doesn't finish the sentence. Yeah. Because Phil Robinson didn't want them to say it. He felt if they said it, it would be, it would break the moment. Yeah. And this sort of begs the question of, uh, and this is what's so interesting is like, well, what, you know, the, the moment with Archie Graham where it was the look. And I said, I think that's the old Archie Graham right. seen through this moment. What does John Kinsella at this moment know? Right. Does right. he remember his whole life? Does he not remember? Does he remember part of it? Right. I think he knows this is his son. I think, I think we haven't seen him before. So he may very well have not been out there all day with the guys playing baseball. Right. Shoeless Joe, just like Shoeless Joe appeared out of nowhere, mm -hmm. he could have appeared yep. out of nowhere. And he's taking off his catcher's gear and he's looking around. Because even when he takes it off, he just kind of looks around as if he's there for the first time and he's taking it all in. And I think slowly but surely things are starting to dawn on him the more time he spends on this baseball field. So he comes over and he thanks them, building this for us to play on, blah, blah, blah. And he tries the instrument. But even then that moment when he almost says he's his dad, John gives him a look like, are you going to say it? Because yeah. I'm not going to say it. Are you going to say it? This is your daughter to introduce to me. You say it. I won't say it. And again, he uh, said, and I like that. And he says, this is John. He doesn't yeah, say it's his says, dad. This is John. Well, and this right. is the thing of like, Doc Graham said, you never know you're in one of those moments until it's too late, until you pass the moment. Right. Well, Ray right now knows he is in this moment. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he is, this is the moment where he yep. has yep. to do what he has to do. And at this moment, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. You know? True. Um, by the way, Dwyer Brown is the name of the actor who played John Kinsella. Mm -hmm. His dad had died suddenly one month before they shot this. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um Oof. And, and again, you know, we talked about Annie who says uh, when when Shoeless Joe shows up, like, I'm going to make coffee. You go out yourself. At this moment, yeah, yeah. she says, well, I'm going to let you two talk. Yeah. She, man, what a great character she is. That she knows enough yep. to move away. Yep. And we are back in magic hour. 
Again, Magic Hour doesn't last an hour. This took a while to shoot. Can I ask you something? And he, again, asks exactly what Shoeless Joe asked. Is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. But then the scene goes a little farther. Is there a heaven? And Dwyer's performance in this is so great. He says, Oh, yeah. It's the place dreams come true. And Ray turns and sees his wife and his daughter sitting on the porch. And the storytelling's perfect because we know what he's about to say. You know, we understand. The lesson of the movie is so perfectly taught in this moment. And he turns back and he says, Maybe this is heaven. And there's again an awkward moment. And I'm ready. And at this moment, I know that I, I'm certain that he knows that this is his son. Yeah. Yes. And they shake hands and they hold the handshake a little bit too long. And you're going, and there's so much because you're going to talk to him. Say something. <laughs> you have to say something. And the moment, now I'm going to start to cry because I have to say the line. Mm. He sa- As he starts to go, he says, hey, dad, you want to have a catch? Hey, dad. You want to have a catch? That line has broken so many people watching it, and certainly it broke me when I watched it again. It just uh, broke me. For the show. It just broke you, right? I'm, sort of, <laughs> I'm filling in. I'm letting you cry, and I'm filling in while you cry. A much deserved cry. And I'm sure there are people listening to us right now thinking about the scene as we described it, and they're crying in their cars or wherever they're listening to us uh, do this. Maybe they're at the gym. Maybe they just dropped that weight as they were lifting it because they're starting to cry about it too because it is such a brilliant moment because want to have a catch could be taken literally and figuratively. It's basically, let's, I'd like to connect with you again, you know, at its most basic primal level. Dad, can we just, can we just hang out again? You know, and if you've ever lost someone you love who's a significant part of your life, that scene will just get you because that's what I started crying because I was thinking about, you know, hopefully one day I'll see my dad and what my reaction is going to be in the conversation we're going to have. So, you know. Yeah. The when when I was watching it a couple of nights ago, I, I literally sputtered. I didn't just cry, but like mm-hmm. I made a funny noise when this moment yeah. happened. What's interesting is that's not in the script. Oh, you bastards. Is in the script he said, You want to have a catch. He didn't say, Hey right. Dad. And when they had test screenings, people were furious. <laughs> they felt betrayed. Of course. And and so he goes, and it's just one, you know, they just looped in, hey dad. And just changing it from want to have a catch to hey, dad, want to have a catch made all the difference. And what um, the director said about the catch, which I like a lot, is there's something it's I give and you give. Mm -hmm. It's a back and forth. There's something very connective. And I'm sure the same was true when you were kicking the soccer ball around with your dad Mm -hmm. is through this ball. You're connected in this way. Um, And they grab their mitts and. They throw the ball back and forth. And by the way, every single shot of Kevin Costner is different Mm. because each one is telling a different thing. One's on the profile, one's front, one's a little wider. And it looks amazing. Kevin, as you said before, looks absolutely gorgeous in this moment. Mm. And as they throw the ball back and forth, uh, Annie turns on the lights and then we watch them play catch and the camera moves up and up and up into a helicopter shot. And now we look and off in the distance are thousands of cars lined up their headlights to come to Field of Dreams. Mm. 
This was, by the way, tremendous logistics. This was announced at the Chamber of <laughs> Commerce. Bet. They needed everybody's car in the area. That There were about 1,300 <laughs> or 1,400 cars lined up for this shot. It took all night to set up. They're running out of light when they finally shoot it. They did three takes. On take one, as the camera goes up, and it's going to see the sky, and you want to get a little of the blue sky, uh, the camera operator has to turn the open up the iris so it becomes a little mm. brighter to catch the sky. The, on take one, they're looking at the dailies, and as the camera pulls up, it fades to black because he turned the iris the wrong way. Instead of oh. opening it up to get more light, he closed it down so it went dark. And they go, yeah. oh, my God, did he make this mistake on all three shots? Because he didn't say anything about doing this. Right. And fortunately, right. take two and take three, he did not make that mistake. <laughs> um, and this last shot so makes you go, yes. Mm -hmm. It's and I think it solves a problem you hadn't even thought about, you know, which is that you you weren't thinking about the people will come, you were thinking yeah. about that, and now yep. it solves. Oh, people will come. Yep. Can I tell you an interesting story? Sure, sure. In 1990, my dad, as I said, was a big baseball fan. They decided mm -hmm. to do a road trip, and my oh. mom and my dad drove around the country seeing a game in every single National League baseball park in the country. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is really hard because you have to be hit the town at the time that there's a game. So they had to be on right. the baseball schedule to go like, okay, you know, we're going to be in Houston at this point and we're going to be in, you know, wherever it is. And so this, they were like doubling back a couple of times and working out exactly how to see a game in every place. And after seeing right. a game at Wrigley Field, they are driving uh, towards South Dakota and they decide to drive through Iowa. Oh. And they're on the freeway, and they'd spent a lot of time on freeways, and they kind of went, you know what? I'm tired of the freeway. Let's go see some of the countryside. Let's take a, take a surface road. And so they pull off the freeway, and they're driving on a road, and they see a sign that says, Field of Dreams. Oh, wow. And they go, no, come on. That's not what it is. And they see another sign, <laughs> and they go, let's go see. And they drive up, and they found yeah. this place exists. It's still the yep. baseball diamond there. The house is still there. And this is 90. So this is just a year after the movie had come out. Maybe it was 91. Yeah. And, and, and my dad swore and my mom swore this was never part of the plan. Mm. The, I don't know if I believe my dad. Like this could be a sneaky thing that he might have planned. But they say right. they just got off the freeway. Huh. Just picked a random spot. Yeah. And they just randomly saw the sign. So people will come, John. <laughs> people yeah. will come. And they're still coming, and the Yankees and the White Sox recently played an actual game on that field. Oh, really? The last year, or in 2018, wow. yeah, as a 25th anniversary or whatever, remembrance, or 30th anniversary, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, 30th anniversary last year, yeah, so they played it, yeah. So we've reached the end of Field of Dreams. Um, a couple of things about Post, very small. The first is, is that mm. the whole time they were making this movie, it was called Shoeless Show. Mm. It wasn't called Field of Dreams. In fact, one of the reasons Ray Liotta took the part was he's like, well, I'm the title character. <laughs> studio hated the title it's like you can't call it that gave him a big right. list of titles and the one the studio really wanted was field of dreams and phil alden robinson said i hate that title it sounds like a room deodorant <laughs> and so he calls up bill kinsella who wrote the book and he and can and doesn't tell him about the titles he said mm -hmm. i think they're gonna make us change the title and he says oh that's fine i hate the title shalush joe i never liked it my publishers forced me to use that title wow and he goes well what was your original title and kinsella says dreamfield <laughs> and robinson goes i guess 
we're going to call it Field of Dreams. <laughs> Again, a little bit of magic. Um, it was a big hit, obviously. Mm -hmm. It surprises me how few Oscar nominations it got. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Picture, Screenplay, and Music. That's it. Mm -hmm. And this, by the way, is the year of Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine well, Driving Miss Daisy think, over Field of Dreams? Yeah, I don't think we're doing that one, are we? Ever again? No. I don't think we're doing that. No, so. I have no interest in it at all. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just... It's not a great movie. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. So, John, yeah. what are your final thoughts on Field of Dreams? Oh, man. I'm, how difficult is it to find words to describe what Steve Morris once called another film, The Perfect Picture? I would call this film The Perfect Picture. I think the dialogue leads to everything you see. Nothing is wasted. I think the acting is some of the best acting you'll ever see. It's simple. It's down to earth. It's to the point. No one's showing off. No one's trying to win an Oscar. They're actually living and breathing the characters from the bottom of their feet to the top of their heads. And you feel it all the way through. There's so many smiles in here. Uh, to enjoy. There's a great reverence for the game of baseball throughout the movie. But at the end, it's about this father and son. And it's about coming to terms with that. It's about embracing that inner child of yours one more time, uh, or hopefully for the rest of your life again, but also finding time to forgive yourself and to forgive the other person and to mend that bridge once and for all between you and somebody else who you may be missing in your life or may have always wanted to find some peace and closure with. Oh, and it's incredibly well shot, incredibly well directed, and the pacing of it is perfect. And it's a sports movie that will leave you smiling, crying, and feeling good about the world again. Uh, and what more could you ask from a film, honestly? I, I, I literally, this whole time, was going like, what am I going to say? Like, how am I going to put together my thoughts about this movie? I agree with you. I think this might be a perfect film. Mm. I think it transcends its genre, you know? Yes. It goes far Agreed. beyond, you know, a baseball movie or sports movie. And it goes into this something that's deeper. Something about America, about history, about regret, mm -hmm. about play, about games. Of course, about father and sons. And as I think about this film, and I think so much it was... When I was younger, it was about me and my dad, you know? Yep. And now that I'm a father, I see it more as that I'm in the middle of this tradition, just mm -hmm. as John Kinsella passed on Shoeless Joe Jackson to his son, Ray, and Ray passes on Shoeless, the legend of Shoeless Joe Jackson to his daughter, Karen. Yeah. Like now I'm between Mickey Morris, my dad, and Jackson Mickey Morris, my son. And that yeah. there are things from me that are going to him that are my dad, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm a lot like my dad. Right. And I also think about Archie Graham saying, you don't notice the moments when you're in them. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting because as we're recording this, as we said at the beginning, you and I are both in our house, you know, because mm -hmm. there's this crazy virus going around the world. Yeah. And I've yeah. spent more time with my son in the last few weeks than I, I normally do much more. I mean, I spent, I spent much more time with my son than my dad spent with me when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but still like I'm there with him. And I got to tell you, I said, the first thing I said to you when we got on this call was that homeschooling yep. is really hard. And that when I was this yeah. morning, I was researching, I was trying to finish my prep for the podcast and I had to deal with my son and I was really frustrated and I was really, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the end of my patience. And now that we've gotten to the end of this conversation, I suddenly am going, Oh, 
this time with my son is a moment. Yeah. It's a it's a moment that I need to recognize that I'm in the middle of it with him and that I need to yeah. connect with him and that that's in fact what's most important. And maybe yeah. I'll in my way try to have a catch with him. You know what's funny? Yeah. He doesn't like catch that much. I've tried a bunch, <laughs> but I have to find the thing with him to connect with him because these moments yeah. don't go away. You have to find your own field of dreams with him. Well said. Well, on that yeah. note, I think that's what we think about Field of Dreams. Please share with us what you think about Field of Dreams. Share with us the stories with your mom or your dad or the sports you played or yeah. the legends you kept alive or the childlike heroes that you want to revisit or the regrets you want to go back and see. Visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show at all the usual places, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher. Leave your reviews on iTunes. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Buy or stream Field of Dreams at cinephiles.net. You can always reach me on Twitter at SR Morris or on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. See all the content I have there for the Outlaw Nation YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash John Roca Says. And also, please send us pictures of you crying when he says, Dad, you want, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Send us pictures of you crying. <laughs> Tweet at us pictures of you crying. Maybe we'll create a montage of them, put them up on the Facebook page, but would be kind of fun. And maybe we'll add our, uh, we'll add our own as well. So it could be a fun little thing to do uh, to uh, commemorate this particular episode of uh, the Cinephiles. And I think that's it for this week. Everyone, please take care of yourself. There's a lot of crazy things going on in the world. And we will see yeah. you next time on the Cinephiles with another great film. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.